You're listening to Brown on Brand, the Tampa-based marketing podcast where we sit down and have a conversation with the best minds in digital marketing. As always, I'm your host, Matthew Brown, and tuning in from Orlando, I'm joined by a self-starter in the industry who not only heads a successful digital marketing agency, but has started an educational program to help others do the same. Ogline Digital founder, Dylan Ogline. Dylan, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, man. Thanks for pronouncing the name right. Absolutely. <laughs> the uh, post-production will show that I pronounced it right the first time. Got it, the, got uh, it, yeah. Man, to kick it off, like on a scale of one to one million, do people think your company is called Online Digital? Uh, I've gotten that. Uh, it's written clients. I've never had a client say anything to me about it, but I've gotten a lot of uh, on podcasts or doing interviews or something. And they say, you know, Dylan Ogline, founder of Online Digital. Uh, I've even yeah. had somebody who was like, how did you get that domain name? How did you get that? That's incredible. And I'm like, it's, it's, it, you're, you're pronouncing it wrong. So absolutely. Yeah, never any and, clients, I, but. and how it's spelled, right? It just looks so similar. And the reason yeah. I bring it up is that's us.com. So that's us.com um, comes off as that sucks.com. And I've stumbled over that a number of times and it looks great. That's us.com but mine gets screwed up as well. So I had to ask that. Buzzing around in your uh, social media and with Gavin taking part in kind of some pre-production on the, on the podcast, the, it looks like you started as a freelancer and worked your way to where you are today. Mm-hmm. How did you attract your first clients and kind of, you know, what's your beginning journey look like? First clients as a freelancer was, was pretty simple. Uh, was using I believe it was called Elance. Now it's Upwork. Everybody uses Upwork. And uh, it used to be called Elance and Odesk. Back then it was, uh, that, that's what I used. That's how I got my first clients. Uh, and just like a lot of referrals or whatnot. For my okay. agency, once I decided that I was going to be focusing on the digital ad management, uh, the most common question I get is, well, how did you get your first one? How did you convince somebody to use their, your service? And, you know, it was just, I went for the low-hanging fruit. I went to previous clients that I already you know, build a website for or did a logo for or something like that. And just, you know, Hey, I'm offering this new service. It was, uh, it was easy. They were already existing clients. Gotcha. And did you have a corporate job, um, at the same time when you tried to, you know, freelance out or was that something you jumped right in from the beginning or where did, where did you get in your, I guess, where did you get your experience? The only job I've ever had uh, working for somebody else was, uh, I did the cotton candy concession stand. Uh, my girlfriend's dad, this is back ex-girlfriend, uh, not the current girlfriend, but, uh, her dad owned the local racetrack and I, I managed the, the cotton candy stand. <laughs> and, uh, that was the, yeah, that was the only, only job I ever had. I, I consider myself an unemployable entrepreneur, uh, an unemployable, most are, yeah, most, yeah. most real entrepreneurs. Are I like things my way, and if yep. something's being done inefficiently, it just blows my mind, and I can't handle it. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so you'll never be an operations director anywhere. You know, working around retailers, Thumbstopper, ninety-five um, percent of the business it does is retail direct and with small retailers, and a lot of these retailers have kind of had a history of traditional media, if you will, mm-hmm. and still today are using a traditional type media. Um, you know, at the retail local level, obviously huge shift into digital marketing retail sometimes is slow to follow that. How do you find yourself, um, like pitching or how would you pitch a retailer 
on moving away from traditional media into what the digital products and digital medias are. Sure. So, so first, let me comment. I absolutely love the name Thumb Thumbstopper. When I when I Thanks. finally when it clicked to me, like what what you guys do, I absolutely yep. love that name. Uh, so what uh, what I do when it comes to pitching, uh, I kind of I'll come at this from a different angle. With my agency, one of the one of the verticals we work in is with plumbing and heating companies. Very blue collar, very traditional. Uh, you know, you're talking about old school boomers who typically they don't, you know, they know what Facebook is, but like Facebook ads or Google ads, like that, you know, that, that's just not their world. And they're used to doing, you know, maybe postcards or ads in a newspaper, uh, billboards, things like that. Mm -hmm. What I have learned is that, uh, you never want to talk about the, the, the tech. You never want to talk about like you know, Facebook, Facebook ad sets, or, you know, Google keyword targeting, or um, lookalike audiences in Facebook, because they don't really care about that kind of stuff. Uh, at the end of the day, these businesses, they care about getting a result, you know, that result is going to vary from business to business. But like the plumbing and heating companies, they want to grow and get more install projects. That's what they want at the end of the day. I'm focusing more on, listen, I know that you want to grow and get more install projects and get more requests for installs. That's what we're going to help you do. So that's, that's the angle I come at. They don't care about you. You shelter them from it. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of techie people, uh, a lot of millennials and, and whatnot, we come from the angle of like, you know, Facebook ad sets or lookalike audiences are really cool, <laughs> but they don't mm -hmm. care about that. Uh, you know, if you're doing a website for somebody, they don't care if it's WordPress or Squarespace or Wix or any, or custom built. They don't care about that. They care about getting a result. It's funny. I came out of a sales presentation this morning and I was talking about the same thing with eBay and sheltering the customer from the details is the best thing you can do. It's the reason I say, mm -hmm. As a software company, the last thing I want any salespeople doing is selling software, right? That's Shelter the customer from that, right? They, they, they want, you know, you need to really numb it down. And it's interesting that that's your answer into uh, approaching the retailer of sheltering them from the details. And, you know, what they know are traditional marketing tactics. And it sounds to me like sheltering from that allows them to understand that they can transfer over into digital. It might be putting their inventory somewhere. It might be retargeting. It might be digital advertising. What's your favorite Facebook or Google right now? Advertising. Depends on the niche. <laughs> I know that's probably not the answer you want to hear, but I, I personally, I love, I think, I think Facebook is the most powerful thing that humanity has built since the atom bomb. It's no, I'm AI. going there with the segment here soon, and it's going to be a nice <laughs> drift into that. But the, um, you know, it's funny you bring that up, right? Uh, Facebook is like changed humanity, and it's changed politics, and it's changed perception, and it's certainly changed marketing. The the business manager is crazy, you know how you can target now, you know, specific demographics and income ranges, and uh, you know it it it's amazing if you. It's correctly. not. For, for me, it's not the targeting that you can choose. This is where a lot of people get, get Facebook ads wrong. Mm -hmm. You are probably going to pick your target audience wrong. 
It's going to be really difficult for you to do that. But Facebook allows you to put out a hundred different ads, several hundred different ads. And Facebook is able to figure out which was the most efficient. Let the algorithms do the work. Let the algorithms do the work. People, People don't even come close to grasping just how powerful that is. And it's getting better. It's getting better like, every day. Like daily, yeah, like daily. I was going to say the same thing. So, you know, moving to the second half, right, of the show, we're talking about uh, social media, and this is a nice transition. Um, this year's been a little bit of a dumpster fire, especially with the cataclysmic election, right? You know, that election night turning turning into an election week and now an election few weeks. And it looks like it's going to go on for a little bit more, but behind all that, there's been a few different quick social media headlines that may have left you scratching your head. First is YouTube went down, right? Mm -hmm. And I just happened to be looking at a classic car video um, to change from a carburetor status to fuel injection on an engine. And the video went down. And the first thing I thought is, Oh, that's weird. My internet's out. So I immediately swiped my phone, thought it took was it you. off. Yeah. took it off a of Wi-Fi, right? Like you do. And, but then with my, um, you know, looking at something else for one second, then my mind was onto something else. I clicked over to Facebook and I didn't realize it was YouTube. You know, YouTube's, you know, recovered from a seemingly worldwide outage, but at the same time, doesn't it, it, it make you wonder, um, you know, how often this may be a thing in the future and also the amount of money that was lost uh, during that outage for individuals and the company itself. It's, certainly there is a lot of money lost. Uh, what was the total outage? I, I think it was, it was, they were down for two solid hours, right? Yeah. A couple hours. Yep. That's 8% of a day, right? 8%. Yep. Yeah, it's about 8% of a day. Uh, for, for me, a lot of people like panic and they're like on social media and they're like, Oh, the world's ending. YouTube's down. Well, it's a lot of money lost, uh, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. It's YouTube. But for me, I, I sit there and I'm like the amount of panic that people showed. I, 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 I saw on Reddit, like all these people were posting YouTube's down. Everybody's flipping out. It's 8% of a day, one day. The world's not ending because of that. And, uh, yeah, so when things like that, uh, I I really don't overthink it. Uh, yeah, but a lot of money, I hundreds of millions and, of dollars was lost. And I that. guess that's the reason, you know, making major headlines and immediately going from I was watching YouTube. It was weird, right? The classic car video hopped over to social media. And to your point, the addictiveness to it is, you know, half the people on my timeline wanted to be the news reporter like they do with everything else, right? That's, you know, after the 50th time on your timeline that you read that YouTube's down, it's like, thanks, Captain Obvious, right? We're, yeah, we you get know, it. an hour we in. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> uh, on to more social media stuff, right? Instagram's redesigning the layout of its home screen to emphasize shopping and reels. The mm-hmm. company introduced a new design that gives shopping and reels permanent placement in the app's navigation bar. In a blog post, Instagram Head Adam Mazzari said the effects reflect a growing shift towards short form video content and an increase in shopping during the pandemic. Incidentally, both shopping and TikTok competitor Reels 
are also strategically important to Facebook's future. With Instagram apparently pushing a break into short-form video content space, do you think in-stream video ads should have a grander future on Instagram? They certainly will. So obviously, it's talking about TikTok here, but TikTok, what was, what was so powerful about it was the algorithm. And Reels is probably going to get that good, and it's going to be as addicting. I try not to predict snapchat ads or tiktok ads or kind of where the industry's going i kind of try to stick like two to three what was the big thing two to three years ago because if it's still a big thing now it's probably probably good so Mm -hmm. what i imagine with the reels is it's too the ads are too destructive disruptive (laughs) and when you're just like scrolling 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 through instagram and an ad pops up it's and I'm, I'm not talking about reels i'm just talking about the pictures it i feel that it's not as disruptive mm-hmm. whereas with reels it is very disruptive because you're constantly watching something it's like it's like with youtube the ads that are in the middle nobody likes those mm-hmm. nobody's really bothered by the ads in the beginning because it's like oh you know i have to i have to pay my my entry ticket right but mm-hmm. when you when an ad randomly pops up in the middle of, it, of a video, it's really disruptive. Mm-hmm. So I don't foresee a big shift going towards reels advertising. I also think the shopping thing is probably going to go because it's just weird to me. Uh, could totally be wrong. Talk to me about it in three to four years. If it's still still a big thing, then hey, it probably stuck with the marketplace. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like the 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 shopping thing is just a little too weird, a little too intrusive, and like, why is it there? Uh, and and reels, I don't foresee. It's like Snapchat ads. Like, I don't foresee it being a type of advertising that can stick. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I I th- I think I concur with that. Um, we've seen video disrupt, uh, you know, retail business for the power sports, marine RV, passenger car, and truck space you know, video has taken over as, um, you know, a choice now onto Carvana and Vroom and, and sites that really have to put a product in front of you, especially pre-owned products, right? And all the way into the use of augmented reality, being able to change things about a, a sp- so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the short form video content and the reels uh, continue on around that shopping experience. So bouncing back to Facebook, obviously they extended the political ad band uh, for at least another month. Um, until I read this headline when Gavin put it in here, uh, I had forgotten that I ha- I wasn't seeing political ads on Facebook. And let me tell you something. Once I thought about it for a second, I was like, holy shit, this is so healing. I haven't been seeing, polit- you know, because you can't turn on the TV, you can't turn on the news, especially during the election cycle. Do you think that... Um, you know, with all the misinformation and post-election controversy, I think we could all agree this is a good idea, right? <laughs> I know I, this is a this it's is a what tough we one. Got, there's got to be a little bit of controversy in this show. I mean, if they let me unbridle, this is all the kind of stuff I'd talk about right here. I'd throw this, this crap away, and we'd be yeah, talking we'd about, talk about the juicy stuff that everybody wants to hear about. <laughs> Gavin's I, I shaking would... his head. Yes, he's like, okay, cool. Let's bring the bridle off. <laughs> Do I think it's a good thing? Yes. But what I don't like is just, is Facebook just banning it 
to kind of relieve themselves of the pressure of not monitoring fake news and just the amount of just hell yes crap hell i feel like facebook should from a risk avoidance standpoint it's brilliant but but what happens is is then they, they can be like well, we canceled political ads, so now we don't have to monitor everybody's posts and and everything. Which I don't. It's their platform. I don't. I'm not suggesting that there should be laws and stuff. That and that's why they're monitoring how, everybody's how, posts. How else would you do it though? With um, governments interfering with. Uh, I don't you know. think the government should interfere. I feel Facebook is a platform. It is free market. Uh, if people want to post. Uh, Anything that they want to post on Facebook, face it, the government shouldn't get involved with that. But I would like to see Facebook monitor more of the the fake stuff and uh, fact checking and and banning terrorist organizations and people who are threatening others. And how how will they though? How will they? How will they combat international governments, you know, adversarial governments, um, individuals looking to produce fake information? You see so much of it now. Like, and I and I guess I'm asking the question because it's a true question that I need to think about, um, you know, how involved they get. But I'll tell you, with political ads, it's like, how would they, how do we end up not being a society that's, you know, ingesting false information that's going to potentially change um, the outcome of how our society is in general. I think it was a great shift. Uh, I got to tell you, I think Zuck's brilliant for dodging it. Um, As From a business perspective, yes. From a moral perspective, I, I believe that they have to... It, as as an outsider, if I can sit here and say I think Facebook is the most powerful thing that we have developed since the atom bomb, they probably have a similar perspective as well. Mm-hmm. They realize what they have created and what it can do. So I believe that they have almost a moral obligation. Uh, this is beyond the actually monitoring fake or monitoring political ads, like monitoring the fake news and. Uh, I don't have the answer on how they should do it. I, I wish, I wish I did. They probably have better, a better perspective. I know they have a better perspective than I would. I, I feel that that is the most dangerous thing that we as civilization. It's. Uh, I, I feel. Fake I agree news with is Probably you. more dangerous than climate change. Yeah, I agree with you. And I saw this meme the other day where it showed a orange disc, um, and it was a giraffe looking down. And it was an old woman with a hat on from the front. And this giraffe was describing it as an orange disc, right? So, you know, how will, how will we navigate that is the big question. And it's, and it is scary. And I agree with you. I think it's a, it's a huge issue. And, and, um, I, I don't really pick a political side. I think those people are dangerous. If you're actually picking, uh, one of the two political parties that we have today, I think they're the same team as a matter of fact. Um, and they don't even know it, but the, uh, it is scary. It is social media and how it's going to guide that. But I think it was brilliant on Zuck and Facebook's part to just sidestep it and say, there aren't going to be any political ads. And I'm looking forward. I would like to see them ban political ads in general, uh, or, or have some kind of, as an advertiser, I have a certain quality 
when I'm doing ads for a plumbing heating company or any kind of company or my education company, whatever, there are standards that I have to, uh, that I have to pass. Only way to end a podcast in 2020 is to be talking about politics, right? You know, continuing on from the agency, um, 2.0, right? Can you share some of the advice that you dive into during the agency 2.0 course? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'll try to keep it generalized for, for those who aren't starting their own digital marketing agency. But uh, the, the three main things that, uh, that, I, that I would say, the first is that it's keep things ruthlessly simple. Uh, you want to just be absolutely relentless with that. I, I probably tell people in the first week of the program a hundred times, keep things simple. Don't overthink this. You want to build your website in one hour on Squarespace. You don't need a fancy logo. Keep things ruthlessly simple. Uh, that plays hand in hand to the second thing I would say, which is to, uh, to fail fast. You want to get things out into the marketplace. And again, this, this advice is great for somebody, even if you're not in the digital marketing space, starting an agency, you want to get things out into the marketplace as fast as possible uh, to prove your product market fit. You know, in the tech space, they have the MVP, the MVS, your minimal viable product, your minimal viable service. Uh, you want to fail as fast as you possibly can. You want to prove that there's actually people who are willing to give you money for, for your product or service. Uh, and that plays into kind of the third piece of advice, which is the best way to prove your product market fit is to get somebody to actually give you money. Uh, so you don't want to just ask somebody, would you use my product or service? Or, Hey, does this service seem like it would help your business? Because people will lie to you. People will be mm -hmm. dishonest with you to, because they, they want to be nice. They don't want to be rude and be like, Oh no, that, 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 that's not going to help. They'll be like, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. That, that service would be great. You want to prove your product market fit by getting them to actually give you money. So, mm -hmm. uh, what I advise people and this doesn't particularly work with the, the agency space, but if you have a, uh, typically a digital product is where this works best, sell it before you build it. So go to people, you know, say you have a training program, like, like, uh, like, like agency 2.0, you have a, a digital training program uh, on whatever, uh, and you're going to be selling that to business owners or anybody. You want to actually go to people and get them to give you money for that, that program before you ever build it. Because if you can't get anybody to give you money, then you probably don't have product market fit. And because you kept things ruthlessly simple, shifting you know, to a different niche or to a different angle in the market isn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. But if you spend uh, six months, a year building out a website, getting public relations, getting a nice logo, building out all this documentation, building out the training program. If we're going down that example, if you spend all this time doing all these things and then you go to sell it and you can't sell it because you don't have product market fit, it's going to be a lot more painful for you to switch and go in a different direction. Got it. Yeah. I think there's some that great nuggets in there. And what I heard from that is and I think this is good for all young entrepreneurs to hear, 
is move fast and don't overthink the basic stuff that you, people get tangled up in whether the logo is perfect and the the marketing materials yeah. are perfect and it, it it is it's again got to have a Gary V reference don't overthink it move fast it's so true yeah absolutely uh, and that, that's that's speaking from personal experience 12 years <laughs> a long time just absolutely suffering and getting absolutely nowhere because I'm naturally a perfectionist and I wanted everything to be absolutely perfect and had to have a nice yeah. logo, had to build out this complex website. Oh yeah. Had to write the operations for everything, even don't though I didn't let have any customers yeah. yet. Don't yeah. use perfectionism as an excuse and don't let perfection get in the way of being successful and delivering. Absolutely. I agree. I agree with you. Well, Dylan, thank you again for diving into digital marketing with us today. Listeners, if you're out there in the world and tuning into Brown on Brand, consider taking a look at Thumbstopper's YouTube channel for video versions of Brown on Brand, as well as a multitude of video series dedicated to digital marketing and the world of brand building in general. From that's us.com in Tampa, Florida, my name is Matthew Brown, and thanks for listening.